Leadership File on Premier. It's my joy to welcome you to The Leadership File, the show that aims to help you lead as Christ would have you lead wherever he has placed you. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and whether you listen live on a Sunday or one of the many thousands who catch up via the podcast, it's great that you can join us. And I'm joined uh, this week by uh, Jeff Vines. He's pastor of uh, Christ Church of the Valley, which is 30 minutes east of LA. He's just arrived in the UK, so it's a great joy to welcome you, Jeff, to The Leadership File. Uh, thank you, Andy. It's always great to be in London. Uh, just so much history here and we don't have a lot of that in the US as you know. Well it's uh, it's a privilege to have you along. So t- tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing. Uh, you grew up in Tennessee I understand? Yeah I grew up in the eastern part of Tennessee to parents who were I would call nominal Christians uh, kind of gone to church most of their lives but faith wasn't that real in their lives until my mother started listening to Dr. Charles Stanley out of Atlanta and that changed her life and in turn it changed ours. And so we uh, got to know a, a Jesus that was active in your life and began to learn things about how God wanted to use you and work with you and give you a purpose and meaning in your life. And then my mother and my grandmother at that point challenged me to consider ministry because they could see something unique in me, even at an early age. And uh, I said no for a long time because I was a huge basketball fan and went the way of playing basketball in high school and then got a college scholarship. And then somewhere along the way, God just decided, you know what, it's time for you to uh, go a different direction and the rest history. As I was invited to Zimbabwe, Africa, to play with Athletes in Action. And as I was there, I was introduced to the need around the world, fell in love with the people, ended up spending 10 years in Harare, the capital city there of Zimbabwe, and uh, getting to know people and ministry. And then from there, I went to seminary. Uh, was fully trained and then went into the preaching teaching ministry and that's the short version. Sure. So you got your training after quite a long exposure in Christian ministry. Um, presumably you were picking stuff up along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in Zimbabwe, uh, I was so desperate for teaching and for learning that the at that point, in that time, Charles Stanley Ministries, In Touch Ministries, would send all free resources to any missionary living around the world. And so I would get this big box of books and tapes, and that's where I really learned to preach, learn uh, theology. And then at that point, I thought, you know, if I'm really going to go into ministry and I'm serious about it, I should go to seminary. So I was in Zimbabwe 10 years before I went back to the U.S., to Cincinnati Christian Seminary. And then from there, I went to New Zealand, 10 years in New Zealand, and then back to the U.S. Wow. Wow, that's fascinating. And so you're now in in Christ Church of the Valley. Um, So tell us about the church. Yeah, the church has had uh, three uh, pastors in its entire history. It's a very healthy place. The founding pastor did an excellent job. The guy who took his place that he trained, both of them were strong on evangelism. They had a real heart for those who were far from God to come near. So even when I arrived in 2008, the church was already positioned to where it just needed a leader to come in and say, you know, let's continue this vision of a fully devoted follower of Jesus in every home in the San Gabriel Valley. And uh, almost immediately I knew that although our evangelistic outreach, uh, our strategies were pretty good, we weren't discipling very many people. So the church was getting larger and larger, but I'm not sure how many fully devoted Christians, Christ followers that we really had. And so we made a few changes there and got intentional, became intentional about discipleship over the next five, six years. So here I am in my 11th year and the church is very, very healthy and that it has 
strong discipleship. I think we went from 11 groups to over 200 now who are meeting together weekly in Bible study, prayer, and just community, as well as our ongoing outreach endeavors through the community. Okay. So to, to, find this, to find discipleship for us in terms of how what you was, weren't seeing and, and what you're now seeing. Yeah, I was finding that uh, you had a lot of people who went by the name Christian but didn't even know uh, how to define a Christ follower in the sense, what does a Christ follower believe about Jesus? And then on top of that, morality to them, the what I did and how I lived my life was not really impacted by Jesus. It's like, well, Jesus saved me, but I can go out and kind of add Jesus to everything I'm already doing. So when I would give certain messages or lectures, I would notice there was somewhat confusion. And then there were people who thought I was being a bit aggressive when I should say, you know, I, I think it's improper for you to sleep with your girlfriend before you're married to her. And so I realized, wait a minute, I've got a couple of thousand people here who call themselves Christ followers, but don't really know what it is to follow Jesus. So I thought, okay, let's go back to the beginning. 16-week discipleship courses where we talked about who is God, who is Jesus, what is salvation, who is the Holy Spirit, does God communicate still, can you hear the voice of God, <laughs> where do we determine objective morality, where do our feelings come into play. So we started rewriting some of the discipleship um, uh, I, I, they were, it really wasn't curriculum as much as it was we took curriculum and said we need 16 weeks of intense study uh, led by a facilitator who was a mature believer who could lead them through these issues without being offensive or too mm. aggressive to where you'd chase everyone away. Following that, when the study came out of Nairobi Chapel in Kenya, rooted, we adopted that, got permission to rewrite that to a Southern California flavor. And that took us to another level because we condensed it from six weeks into 10 weeks. And I don't know how much you know about that, Andy, but it is a tremendous discipleship tool, primarily because it comes out of the East. And you say, well, what's the big deal there? You know, in the West, we sit around in our theological circles oftentimes talking about whether or not or even debating whether or not God speaks or God is personal. They just assume that in most of my African church friends, and they write curriculum based on how to hear the voice of God. Right. So it gets us uh, to a place where we can start further down the road. We're ready to go. We, we believe that God still speaks. We believe that there is a personal relationship, that God himself is personal, that you were created for a relationship. So that when someone comes along and says to me, isn't it enough that I obey God? I usually say, well, you've got two issues. Number one, you don't obey God all of the time. And two, no, because you were created for relationships. It's like me going to my wife and saying, can we just coexist? Do we have to talk? Do we have to have intimacy? Can't we just live in the same house? And God says, I want intimacy with you. That's why the number one uh, metaphor in Scripture is the bride and the bridegroom. We're the bride of Christ, and there is intimacy. So helping people understand this is about relationship, and he is your Lord, and he is your Savior, and you are following him because you trust him, because he doesn't give his law arbitrarily, but it's motivated out of the love of his heart. All of those things are in our discipleship forms. And I, we've seen great growth in the last 10 years. So you, you, you moved into a church and, and you established these kind of things. I'm just wondering, uh, did you lose people along the way? Because that's kind of not what they'd signed up for? Absolutely. Um, I would say close to 500 people wow. decided that, uh, you know, we're going a different direction now. He's talking about 
that we are following Jesus in the sense it's going to change my life. You know, I, 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 I don't want to be told what to do in these areas of my life, especially when it comes to my money and to my sexuality and uh, uh, to just about how any other thing from how I spend my weekends to uh, how often I go away on holiday or vacation, <laughs> if I serve or not in the church, if I'm using my gifts, those things which you would think would be fundamental to a Christ follower. To a lot of people, they found offensive as if we were requiring something. In fact, a lot of people said, you know what, we're going to go away until Pastor Jeff's off this little soapbox and then we'll come back. <laughs> of course, I never got off of it and here sure. we are. So so why were the people coming, do you think? Or was it because they they kind of, they knew they were, they thought they were believers? Well, I mean, I'm not saying they weren't, but... Uh, no, uh, that's a, I asked that question. Uh, spiritual buzz. Right. Spiritual buzz. Uh, sometimes when you're a mega church, you have... Um, a bigger budget. You can uh, have things happen on a weekend that most people couldn't afford. And so I used to hear them talk about stories the day the pastor brought a lion on stage. All right. <laughs> and so, wow, you know, it was like this. What cool thing are we going to see this weekend? Okay. Right. And I feel that they lost the plot just a little bit because people were coming because the next cool thing. Right. Uh, some of my pastor friends will still pay up to $30,000 to have a famous sports figure just show up on the weekend and interview. And so the ideas were attracting seekers. Right. Yeah. And there, there are good ideas there hmm. as long as you realize that you know what you win them with is what you win them to sure. and eventually they've got to meet the savior and yeah. i feel that there was no intentional effort to do that much uh, in those two or three years between the time of their last senior pastor and the time that I came. Okay. And, of course, you'd, you'd be inheriting staff members mm -hmm. who had been used to this old model. Did they need to be one round or something as such? Uh, half the staff uh, over time, it was a bit too much for them as well. Okay. And notice, this was not what we would call hardcore, unloving, uh, legalistic mm. uh, uh, endeavors. These were just God loves you so much that he mapped out a way for us to live and I like to say to them, you know, according to Romans 8, God's never going to leave you. He's mm. never going to forsake you. Even when you're running from him, he's hot on mm. your heels. You know, Francis Thompson, the hound sure. of heaven. But, but the reason you pursue Christ's likeness is because God, being the creator and sustainer of life, mm. knows how life is best lived, given your design. And uh, that was just too much for even some of the staff. Well, wow. And they didn't want any, uh, any kind of uh, parameters uh, in which... They should be told that uh, this is the this is the goal. Live your life within these parameters, and there is ultimate freedom. Right, uh, and so you're kind of in a bit of a cauldron, presumably at the start of this. Um, what were your kind of? How did you keep going, uh, pursuing the goal, given that were people leaving and staff not so happy? Yeah, even though pe old, older people, not older, but people who had been mm. at the church longer were leaving at the same time every week, new people were coming in. Okay. And here's what I found. This is one of the greatest leadership lessons I've learned in my personal life, mm. that God doesn't really need me. Mm. Uh, but if I want to be a worker together with God, there comes a point, I think, that God knows whether or not he can trust me. If he sends me, if he sends people to us, he knows whether or not he can trust me with them. Okay. And I found that when we were more faithful to him, that he seemed to trust me more, trust us more, to send people who were hungry. He knows where they are. And I think if you seek him and you seek him with all your heart, you're going to find him. So people who are seeking, they're out there. And God is a, he's a great investor, wise investor. I think he knows if I send them here, they're going to be discipled, they're going to be taught, they're going to be trained. And I found the more I preach the gospel in a loving way, very loving, uh, very uh, 
a gentle persuasion, nevertheless a persuasion, that more and more people came in. So you really couldn't tell the time, you know, we're notorious mega churches for taking the offering count, the the, the attendance count on every campus because we're multi-campus. But we got to a point when we realized that as, as many went out the door, as many would come in the door. And so there never was really a time where you could say, okay, we're 500 less. It's just I could tell okay. by the giving and the people on the roll were disappearing, but new people were coming in. But give that five years, and they will give much more. They will they will quantum leap those who had been there for so long and who weren't serving, giving, or living for Christ. While well, you're listening to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck, I'm joined this week by Jeff Vines. He's the pastor of Christ Church of the Valley, and we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Jeff Vines. He's pastor of Christ Church of the Valley, which is uh, 30 miles east of, of LA in uh, California. We were talking before the break of his uh, his journey from uh, from Tennessee and through Zimbabwe, eventually to becoming senior pastor of, of a mega church, and then all that he found there in terms of uh, you know being high in attendance, perhaps low in discipleship, and how he was transitioning that point. Um, uh, Jeff, as, as people are listening, obviously they're not particularly in many of them relating to the, the mega church dimension, but many of them, I think, will be relating to the challenge that they find in terms of discipleship. And um, uh, one of my heroes, Dallas Willard, uh, talks about the cost of non-discipleship, mm-hmm. that actually, yes, there is a cost of discipleship, but actually, you know, the, the life that we live is wasted if we're not serious in following Jesus. Just tell us a bit about some of the incentives or some of the encouragements that you gave to folk as, as they sought to follow Jesus more and some of the fruit of that within your congregation. Yeah, I think uh, when I think of Dallas Willard and some of those fantastic writings of reminding us that discipleship is something that when you truly know who God is, and that's what discipleship Mm -hmm. is, you're beginning to understand the nature of God and how God works in your life. The thing that's missing is that, that, that objective peace and even subjective, the feeling of peace in your life because you you have connected with your creator and you've learned to listen and hear his voice, you know, that's a personal relationship that you're having with somebody that is bigger and loves you more than anybody you could ever imagine. Something comes alongside that. Great dividends come with that. I noticed in my ministry, in my quiet time, in those in those seasons when I got so busy that I really didn't sit and listen to God. There was a heavy price to pay. I was going at it on my own. I was tension-filled. My wife would tell you, you know, you're irritable. You get angry much quicker than you do when you're sitting with God. I can tell, she said, when you're having your time with God and when you're not. But it's more than just having the time. It's walking with him throughout the day, learning who he is, learning how to hear his voice. And most people uh, who were at our church in the beginning had not yet learned uh, to listen to the voice of God, to listen to the voice of accountability partners, let other people speak truth into your life, uh, listen to the language of obedience, of where you're obeying God and the hard calls. And I always say to people, if, do you want to feel God? Are you are you a little concerned that you're not feeling God in your life? One of the best ways to feel God is do something hard where you realize that the only way you can achieve that is if God shows up. And believe me, you'll feel the presence of God. And one of my one of my favorite examples of that, Andy, is in uh, Exodus 3, where Moses goes to God and says, well, how do I know you're going to be with us? How do, how do I know you're going to do this? Don't you love it? Because God mentions nothing about, well, I'm going to show up in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Then there's going to be that whole death angel thing. And then there's the Red Sea crossing. He gives him none of that. He just says, here's how you'll know. At the end of all of it, you're going to worship me on the mountain. 
<laughs> you're going to realize, man, you were with me every step of the way. And what I've learned and what people are learning in discipleship is that it is God giving you power and wisdom and knowledge. He's growing you along the way. Seldom does he give you everything right up front. But at the end of it, you'll have those times when you look back and you realize, man, there's no way I could have done that. I'm becoming a person that I never thought I could become. I'm seeing things I never thought I'd see. I'm feeling things I never thought I would feel. There's a greater sense of volition. I'm able to do things. I mean, I'm able to forgive people I thought I would never be able to forgive. That kind of experiential stuff, it, you know, sub subjectivity is not all bad. Hmm. Feeling God in those ways will solidify almost that objective truth that you know that God is directly involved in your life. The price you pay when there's a lack of discipleship, no feeling, no sense of volition, God is impersonal. And who wants to be around a God like that, that doesn't work in your life, is not actively involved in your life, or you don't feel the love of God? And so discipleship has been a, a, a such a blessing in that there are there's greater depth in our people. As a matter of fact, Andy, one more just quick example. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried to get a prayer meeting started in every church that I pastored all my life and never could. 15, 16, 20 people show up maybe. Okay, yeah. Then I went to Christ Church of the Valley. I tried the same thing, and I was inspired by uh, what I saw in uh, Jim Cimbala in uh, right, in New York. Yeah. So I, I made the journey, and I saw that, and I thought, I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> you know, people are standing out line, outside yeah, yeah. waiting to get in. And I always wanted to be part of something like that, but never could manufacture it. And... What happened after five, six years of intensive discipleship at CCV, I thought, well, let's try it again. We started a Monday night prayer meeting, and it is jam-packed. It is the largest service we do on a weekend, and I love it. But it's not because we did anything spectacular. The hearts of people had been changed. They wanted to pray. And you can't really manufacture that, no, can you? You, right. you, can't, you can't fake it. And to a, to a degree, praying for it even means that I think, I think Jesus would say, okay, you, you want this kind of thing, right? Well, why don't you start discipling people, and then they'll have a deeper, more intimate relationship with me, and then they'll want to pray. How about that? You know, so those are the kind of benefits you have when you focus on discipleship. As, as Toza said, you know, it's the hardest meeting to get people to go to is the, the one where God's the only attraction, and that's the, that's the prayer meeting. That's uh, so but, true. But fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, I know presumably small groups were key part. You mentioned in the, uh, the very start that you wanted small groups to to, to grow. What, how do you, how do your small groups function, and uh, what the how does discipleship become part of that? Yeah, well, our small groups function. Uh, we'll have a small group, uh, a pastor. His whole his entire job is to teach and train the okay. small group leaders. Mm -hmm. And so he is meeting with them regularly. Once a year, we'll do an all-church study. So let's say this year I'm going to go through the book of Daniel. I've just been reading uh, Dr. John Lennox's book on Daniel. Fantastic mm -hmm. book. So I'm, I'm preparing that for the fall. And so we'll do an all-church study. But usually year-round, uh, we're doing Rooted. If you've never been through Rooted, which is a 10-week discipleship mm -hmm. course, everyone, we want everyone in our church to go through that. So far, we've got over 5,000 people that have gone through it. And what's so good about that is you have a graduation ceremony at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after you go through Rooted, the natural progress then is for you to go into what we call community groups. And those community group leaders are given incredible freedom to teach a book of the Bible, to go to visit a topic. We are responsible to resource them, to make sure they have the resources to be able to lead these well. Used to, we would just say, put up your hand if you want to lead a group. And that's a fast way of doing it. But now to be a small group leader, you've got to go through small group leader training. Okay. 
and uh, you, we've got to find out and discover some things about you and who you are. We're, we're very much a church where we like all theological positions to be discussed. Okay. You know, I, we're not controlling in the sense that unless you're a Calvinist, you cannot, or unless you're Armenian, or unless mm. you're, uh, you know, pre-trib. No, no. We, we've got our five core beliefs that are mm-hmm. mainline evangelical. We want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, <laughs> that he mm. did die and he did rise again. <laughs> so, but we have a lot of freedom in theological issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that allows us to bring a lot more people in uh, so that we remind them, hey, I, we know this is your, but don't major in the minor. Uh, just make sure your people are continuing to be discipled in whatever you're talking about. Yeah. And it takes, it took, it took a good uh, seven years, I think. It took a good seven years to feel comfortable about those groups going well. You have to stick with it because you'll always have renegade groups. And don't, don't, I told our small group leader, who's an Australian actually, I said, don't, don't uh, lose heart. I find that renegade leaders will go off, but then after the ship is moving so powerfully in the uh, same direction, they'll tend to come back in. Right. And they have. Right. Well, uh, Jeff, time's almost defeated us, but time to, to say really, what was, what's your key leadership lesson? If you look back over uh, a number of years of Christian ministry, what would you, you know, there's listeners listening, who some of whom are leading churches or yeah. involved in church and charity. What would be the key things that you want to say? Well, I've got one primary thing, and I wish mm-hmm. we had time to develop this, but okay. I'll, I'll give you the short version here. Um, we pastors have to be willing to admit that we're just like everybody else, and that sometimes our primary objective is to be known and to have a big church, and our sense of significance and joy, if we're not careful, can come from that. So if it comes from that, then we're going to do whatever we can to get a lot of people and to have a big church and to get our name out there. The problem with that is you'll make, you'll take shortcuts. If you're just about how many people are in your church, you're going to do some things that you would not normally do if you're looking for depth. I am not saying in any way that every mega church has done that. Mm-hmm. I can just tell you that I did. And it cost me three years of a pretty severe anxiety disorder where I couldn't even leave the house. And uh, that to me, though, was God breaking me. Uh, and, and showing me that, hey, what are you, what are you doing here? Because, you know, I stand up all the time. We pastors stand up and say, don't get your significance and money and your job and your cars that you're driving, but I'm doing the same thing. And when I made my peace with that and I realized, hey, God just wants me to be the best leader that I can with great integrity and transparency. And whatever happens after that, that's, that's up to him. And I cannot tell you, Andrew, the peace that I've had in my life since those days. It's been about five years. Very peaceful now. And, you know, we, we decided, a good example is we decided when we were expanding and expanding, I didn't want to build the big auditorium. Nothing wrong with that. But because I had been changed in my thinking, I thought, why, why spend, it cost us $60 million wow. to build a 3,000-seater in Southern California. Why would we do that? So I said, let's just go out wide. So we did more campuses in junior high schools. You know, it's so cheap to rent. And then you can build and grow that way. So that's a good example. Five, six years ago, I would have fought to get the big building because the primary objective was my significance was tied to my success. Uh, The greatest leadership lesson you can ever learn in ministry is let, let God be the one who... Uh, gives you the love, the acceptance, the significance that you need. If you can practice that in what you're preaching, man, ministry is so much more enjoyable. <laughs> well, that's fabulous, Jeff. Thank you so much for, for sharing. It's a great, great place to finish. So um, thank you so much. Yeah. So that's uh, Jeff Vines. He's pastor of Christ Church of the Valley. Um, 
30 miles or so east of LA. Uh, no doubt there's a, a website if people want to find out more about this church. Yeah, ccvsocal.com. ccvsocal.com. Okay. And everything's there, the campuses, the media, whatever we can do to encourage you. Uh, no money required. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, well, well, thank you, Jeff. And thank you for joining us. Uh, do uh, uh, log on to Premier's website and you can uh, uh, find archive versions of Leadership File. You can go to the, uh, the store and get a copy of my book, The Leadership Roadless Travelled. And I hope to see you again next uh, Sunday at 3.30. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.